This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, so you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willer for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. All right, ready for this week's game? Sort of. I have a bag full of sticks cards and a stack of loose pages over here somewhere. Okay, I got a stack of notes, but they're kind of in three different books. But at least I have my character sheet. I copied it down on the back of this pizza menu. So much stuff. Keeping those game notes organized is hard. (laughs) There's got to be a better way. Oh, hey, guys, what's up? Whoa, that is a lot of paper. Let me help you guys get this organized. And with that, welcome to the 455th episode of the Misdirected Mark Podcast. Tonight, we're going to discuss ways to organize and keep notes and other information during your tabletop role-playing games. Along the way, we'll take your suggestions, examples, and questions live from the chat room for life on Twitch. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. Welcome again to the Misdirected Mark Podcast. It is time for our temperature check. Phil, how are you feeling? Physically good. Mentally solid. Okay. Check. Right. <laughs> Jerry. How about you, Bob? Or Jerry. Oh, I, awkward. <laughs> it's how right. about Jerry? Jerry, how about Jerry? Jerry's doing fine. Uh, I actually got a vacation day in last week and actually took it. So I'm feeling good. I'm rested. Um, just, you know, join. We got another day off this week. So it's going to be a nice short week. Awesome. Cool, cool. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Robert? Yeah, Mr. Robert. Do my, do my odd bed impression. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I am, uh, I'm a solid. Okay. Um, physically, um, a little teeny bit of trouble with my neck last couple of days. It's been, uh, just a little cranky, but I have one of those, uh, one of those neck pillows with the massager and the heat built in. So when mm-hmm. it starts to get cranky now, I just lay back on that, let it on the, in the trouble spot. It hits it right, right into, into the major trouble spot that I usually have. So that usually helps. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's good. Um, Mentally, um, feeling good. Um, tiny little bit sad today, um, which I'll get which into. Which would lead us right into our one thing. Yes, the one thing. The one thing. Uh, today, I did a bittersweet revisit of uh, an episode of Quantum Leap, specifically season two, episode 22, entitled MIA. I watched this episode because I found out today, <laughs> earlier this morning, that Dean Stockwell passed away. Dean Stockwell famously played... Al Calavici, the uh, observer on Quantum Leap. Um, he was a great character. I loved the show. I loved him. Um, and this particular particular episode uh, was a an Al-centric episode that was so many feels. Um, and long story short, he, um, he spends most of the episode trying to get Sam to keep this woman, Beth, from hooking up with a new guy while her husband is missing in action in Vietnam. He's been missing for two years and she's about giving up hope and she's about to hook up with this lawyer and move on with her life. Um, And it turns out that it's his wife and he's trying to get Sam to do the thing you're not supposed to do is change their own, their own lives. Um, And Uh. you get to the end of the episode and he has this moment where he goes and and uh and spends a minute with her uh before they leap away and it's so well written it's so well acted by dean stockwell it's great um love the episode and it was the first thing my mind went to when i heard he passed away i'm like i gotta watch this episode 
So thoroughly enjoyed the episode. Sad because he passed. Um, so bittersweet day. Jerry, what do you got for one thing? I'm rereading the silhouette system. Um, last week, Phil was talking to us a little bit about coming up with um, some hard side games. And I decided to go back and look at silhouette again. And I'd forgotten how much I enjoy it. Um, this is the game system that DreamPod 9 uses for Heavy Gear, Gear Krieg, and Jovian Chronicles. And um, it's a 90s game, so it's got a lot of rules and modifiers. But most of the rules are just situational things like how does fire work, how does radiation work, stuff you can just ignore. And um, same thing with a lot of the modifiers. If you just run it as a straight game, the system still works. And uh, I forgot how much fun it was just to look at the look at the system and how it handles um, different scales uh, at the same time. The fact that you can have um, encounters where you can have a, a romantic encounter, a dramatic encounter, a combat encounter, a giant space battle, and you know um, a tactical encounter all going on at the same time with the same set of rules um, and not lose initiative and not lose um, the way the game integrates with itself. And so I liked it a lot. I forgot how much fun I enjoyed it. So I've just been reading that and I really haven't read a lot of games lately. So it's fun to get back into that. Phil? Uh, yeah, I've also been reading games lately, which leads me to um, my one thing uh, for this week, which is uh, we had a movie night at my place mm-hmm. on Sunday instead of a game night. And uh, we watched uh, House of the Flying Daggers because uh, we are uh, studying up some wuxia. Um, and uh, I forgot I had seen House of the Flying Daggers years ago, I think when it first released. Um, Bob, you said you didn't see it. I thought I had seen. I thought it's I had entirely possible that we watched it, but it's been so long. I like I. I really didn't remember seeing any of it. I mean, it was when I used to live above you, so I mean, it was yeah. a long time ago. Um, at least I thought it was. Anyway, regardless, yeah, regardless, we watched House of the Flying Daggers. Um, I rather enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, really good. The the true enemy of the uh, of the of the whole thing is toxic masculinity. Um, was definitely the main enemy of that movie. Um, but I, I mean, it's, it's super pretty. It's got, um, some just, it's got some really like the use of color in it is fantastic. The fight scenes are amazing. Um, it's like an onion or troll. Like so there are layers, layers right? Uh-huh. Like the number of twists in that movie, like the number of reveals, you're just like, Oh, Oh, Oh. Like just yep. one after the other. Anyway, yeah. it was quite enjoyable. And it was just, you know, a bunch of us hanging out, watching a movie at my place. So um, totally dug it. And uh, and I'm going to probably just watch a couple more wushas to kind of uh, school up for um, Hearts of Wulin. If you haven't seen it yet, and, and this goes out to anybody, if you haven't seen it, Curse of the Golden Flower is a nah, very visually beautiful, stylized um wonderfully shot film um so yeah i highly recommend that one too i'm looking right now yeah you want to do another movie night that'd be excellent sweet that was uh anyway yeah no no that was fun but we have work to do yes Mm -hmm. uh and first we have a we have a big we have a big it is a big announcement um it's actually a kickstarter I was actually very excited for for a couple of weeks. The, there were a couple of hints dropped about it. Uh, I had seen it. I had um, tagged it, you know, on Kickstarter to alert me when um, when the Kickstarter launched, and it launched today. Um, so I was very excited to see uh, Moonlight on Roseville Beach by Rich Ruane. 
Um, you may or may not know this, but Rich is um, is one of the royal court. Mm-hmm. What's uh, what's Rich's title? The Queen's the f- Frog Bassador. I I like it. The Frog Bassador. Yep. I don't think we've had a Frog Bassador before. Now I know Rich from Metatopia. Rich actually sat in. Oh, I want to say it was Hydro Hackers on a playtest of Hydro Hackers. Might have been a playtest for another game. Oh no, I'm sorry. I take that back. It wasn't Hydro Hackers. Rich sat in on a, on one of the first playtests for Turning Point. Ah. Ooh. Um. A with um along with um uh Jason Cordova, cool. uh, which was really the um like the test flight to see if turning point was really gonna work. Um so Rich Rich is a um awesome uh awesome human game designer. And then if you want to up the ante, uh Rich assembled a writing team for the project. There are a number of people on that that list. Um, that are awesome people. There are almost too many to list, which is why we're going to put the link in the show notes. We would be remiss not to mention probably one of the uh, coolest people we know, Rob Abrazado. Absolutely. Is on that team, um, which, you know, we love Rob. Rob handles our audio for us, which is just one of the many things Rob does um, yes. around, you know, around here and elsewhere um, in the gaming industry. So Rob is phenomenal. Um, we love them. I'm super excited to see Rob on this Kickstarter as well. Catherine Raman, who wrote um, Red Carnations on a um, Black Grave. Yep. Yep. Um, Catherine Raman's on that um, on that list as well. Like I said, you got to go go jump into the Kickstarter and look at the list. It's um, it's really good. If you're wondering what the game's about, um, it is a queer game of disco and cosmic horror. That's like it. That's like the the label for it. It's a hell of a pitch. Um, it's about spending. What's that? That's a hell of a pitch, right? Mm-hmm. It's about spending hot summer nights on Roseville Beach as you navigate summer fun, romance, and things that should not be known. Um, what initially drew me to this one? I, I I love the tagline for it, right? Disco and cosmic horror. But um, what initially me this kickstarter was rich released a picture of the cover and the cover is um is a um throwback to the um old pulp um novel covers um especially the like the ones that were like queer stories and things like that the kind of things that like you had to kind of go out of your way to buy um to read especially if you were queer right like they were all these um you can you see them all the time like um all these kind of queer pulp fiction kind of books. Um, and Rich went for a cover that looks like it could have just been any one of those from the past. And as soon as I saw the cover and read what the game was about, I was like, I am a hundred percent here for this game. So uh, I was very excited. I backed it immediately this morning. Um, they are doing some things with community copies, I believe. Right, Bob. I think. Yep. Um, yeah. That's, yeah, so there's some things with community copies so that you can actually like make copies available for people. Um, it just it looks great. It looks great, and I'm I'm super excited. I was excited about this one for a while. I've had my eye on it when Rich posted the um, original thing. Here's the thing, though: when you're listening to this, because it will have dropped a week from now, there will only be one week left on the Kickstarter. This is a 14 day kickstarter run so by the time you are listening to this on your podcatcher if anything i just said sounds exciting 
you need to run to Kickstarter. Back this mm-hmm. thing right away. There will only be a week left after you hear this episode. Yeah. Cool. All right. Back it. Yeah, right. back it. I did. I did too. <laughs> I did like right away. I was like, oh, click, boom, done. <laughs> And yeah. you're right, that cover Very excited. is stunning. That, that is an amazing cover. It, it's a really, um, it's really neat. And if you've ever seen those pulp covers for those kind of sexy novels, and there were a lot of those like sexy queer novels and things like that, um, it is like a direct throwback to those. All right. Well, that Whoa. is our lone announcement for the night. So that will bring us to the feature segment. Phil, take a sip, gird yourself. Oh, okay. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I'm with you. Hang on. Okay. Whew, I don't even know what we're going to do. What we're going to do this about. Ready? Hit it. That's right. Go. Workshop. Workshop. Information management. We got to keep our notes together. We got to know what's going on. We can't lose track of things that are going on. Otherwise, we're going to mess up our game, screw up continuity, ruin everything for everybody. We don't want to do that. We want to get it all right here in the workshop. Don't suck. Don't suck. All right. Ooh. All right. Well, in our current Knights Black Agents game, uh, we've been using this digital whiteboard called Miro, and it's done an amazing job at organizing our clues and allowing the group to visualize where investigation is going, and allows us to take notes as we go so everybody can kind of interact uh, in real time. In some of the recent past, we had a listener, either to Mr. Mark or Pandas, asked about how to manage a large number of NPCs for a game. So all of that coalesced to a large discussion about information management. Um, this has to be seated well in Phil's wheelhouse, because he's someone who not only loves this topic, but I spent an awful lot of time on this topic and how it applies to RPGs. So get ready, because we're about to nerd out about getting your RPG data organized. All right, I'm going to do the thing with the thing here. Oh, that's the wrong one. I hit the wrong button. There we go. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. Yeah, we've got just a little bit of definitions, not a lot tonight. Uh, but we're going to build up to our working definition for tonight. So let's just start mm-hmm. with the word information, right? Knowledge obtained from investigation, study, or instruction. Um, in RPG terms, information is knowledge about the game, either proposed knowledge, such as like your prep, right? That's not actually things that have manifested. That's things that you might want to have happen. Or it's knowledge about the game that has been created, that is through play. Okay. Uh, Management is to exercise executive, administrative, and supervisory direction of something. So if we put that together, in our case, management of RPG information is then exercising executive, administrative, and supervisory direction of information about a game either proposed or created, which is really just a fancy way of saying We need to keep track of all the information about a game that's going to be used in the game or was created while we were playing the game. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Pretty simple. Straightforward for tonight. All right. So information is a somewhat nebulous term, right? And in RPGs, there's plenty of information. So Jerry, can we get a list of different types of information that we may need to keep track of for these RPGs? All right, sure. We'll start because there's a lot of types of information that are used in a game. Um, we've created a list, and as, as always, this is neither exhaustive nor any sort of order. Uh, and some of the information that needs to be managed includes? Uh, first one I've got is prep, right? The GM is responsible for prep in whatever form they prepare their games, right? This could just be a few notes about what they might want to have in a session. 
Um, or it could be like a full detailed write-up with, you know, box note, you know, box text and stuff like that. Or it could be a prepared, you know, or published adventure, or it could be a combination of all of those, right? It could be a published adventure that you've added material to, um, all of that stuff, right? But prep is definitely a type of information that we need to manage. But the next is going to be in session notes. And it's important that both the players and the GM take notes during the session, not just the GM, but the players should be taking notes as they go too. Because this information that comes up during the session because of play needs to be recorded for use the rest of the session as well as for future sessions. And this could be anything from short notes, short notes, or it could be something like a character's journal. And I've seen games where players do both. Um, mm-hmm. I was lucky enough when I was in college to have two players who took meticulous notes. And at the end of every game, would hand them to me with every name I dropped, every description I had. If I said somebody wore a purple flower, it was on that sheet. That's um, awesome. Yep. And it's nice to have those for everybody to use for later for later reference. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, the next one is campaign notes. Uh, this one's for our GMs. Um, this is all the addif- additional information that you are keeping regarding the campaign. It may encompass some of the other items that we're about to talk about below. Um, as well as things like notes about your setting, um, background information, uh, a document that um, I, the name of which I cribbed from um, uh, Fear the Boot, which is the What's Really Going On document. Um, that is, to me, one of the most valuable documents I own uh, in a game. Um, all of that needs to be um, needs to be stored and managed. You don't always need this at the table. Um, I don't like in general, like sometimes I need it, but really where I need it is like when I'm in between sessions and I'm kind of working up ideas, prep and things like that. Yep. The next one is location. Um, this could be part of the GM campaign notes or it could be recorded by the characters. Um, this information about specific locations in the campaign world. And it's likely the GM is going to have additional information about that location that's not been revealed to the players. But this is especially big if you have a, a campaign where you do a lot of leading questions where um, the players go to a town and walk into a bar and the GMs and the players kind of decide what's going on. It's important to always taking down those notes. Like, what about the bartender? How big is the room? You know, what do they see in the corner? That sort of thing. Um, it's all very helpful. Sure. Um, events are another thing that you may need to keep track of, right? Um this may be part of the GM's campaign notes. It could be things recorded by characters. Um, it's information about specific events, either involving the characters or not, right? Like they, it might be things that the characters did. It might be historical events or even parallel events um, that need to be kept track of. Uh, and, and you know, we keep track of these kind of events because they have some sort of significance to the ongoing story. Okay. And the next one is items. Again, this is something that can be kept by the GM of the players, and this could be information about items in the game. This could be stats for a magic sword, or it could be a worksheet, worksheet for the group starship. Um, it's important because these items are going to have abilities that may be of use in play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. House, house rules is another one. Um, oh, yeah. This is something that everyone's going to want access to, um, and it could be managed by anyone in the group. A lot of times this will just fall to the GM to manage. But this is this information is the collection of house rules that the group uses uh, in the game. The amount and complexity of these house rules will be determined, well, by how much house ruling you did for the game, right? Like, you may just have, like, a house rule, like, we don't use experience points, we just level up after adventures. Or you might have, like, a whole bunch of rulings you've made in past games 
that have like gotten collected as a body of additional rules for the game. Uh, it's also something that tends to evolve over time. House rules um, a lot of times get added like during the course of a campaign. So this might be, you know, small amount of information at the beginning might be much larger by the time you get to the end of the game. Right. The next one's going to be maps because this normally falls the GM, the players can be keeping their own maps as well. And this might be a collection of images or documents that detail the maps of the campaign setting itself. And they're good reference material and maybe needed during the session as well as for the GM between sessions for prep. Yep. Next one's NPCs. Um, this is another one that is both needed by uh, players and GMs. This is information about the NPCs in the game. Um, it could be as simple as a name, right? Like what's the name of that person who, you know, owns that tavern? Um, or it could be a full stat block with background information, depending on, you know, how relevant the NPC is in the game. GMs and players are going to have different um, needs when it comes to NPC information um, and may have different, you know, amounts of information they, they need to collect. Um, also, the amount of detail for an, an NPC is um, typically proportional to their role in the game, right? A, yeah. An inconsequential NPC is tends to be just a line or two of information. A really major or important NPC might be like a full workup stat block um, background, like I said earlier. And this is especially important when a background NPC suddenly becomes a major NPC due to the actions of the players, and the GM has to keep building that information up. Mm -hmm. yeah. The next one is ideas. Um, the GM and players are both going to have ideas that need to be managed, everything from upcoming stories, things to add to campaign materials, um, details about a character, memories that come up, that sort of thing. Um, for the players, this is often things that they get to do in the game. Some they're going to go see later on, an item to go get. It's important to keep track of what these are and have them available for later on. Yep. Uh, lastly, your character sheet is a form of information. Uh, this is one's probably more for the players, unless you're, you know, as a GM, you're rocking like, you know, a, a GM PC or something that you've got, you know, done out on a sheet. Um, character sheet is all the mechanical information, depending on the sheet, might have some background information about your character. Um, mm -hmm. It is definitely something that you need during the session it may be something you need between sessions, uh, especially if you're like leveling up or trying to, you know, look at like, you know, um, you know, what move am I going to pick when I, you know, when I get my next advance, that kind of thing. When, when we played Savage, when Savage Sundays was still in full swing and we did our monthly game, we had players show up sometimes and who literally have what I was talking with Bob where their character sheet was just the notes about their character and stats written you know, on the back and sideline of, of the last pizza menu they used because they never took the time to get a good character sheet together and kept having to add to it. Organization is needed. But some of these things are going to get mixed together. And you might be putting names on NPCs on your in-session notes, or you might add item details to your character sheet. So depending on the game you're playing and how you choose to manage your information, some of these things are going to be discrete and some are going to be conglomerates of everybody. Yeah, that's a lot mm -hmm. of different types of information to keep track of in a game. Phil, what are some ways we can organize that? Right. There's like a, I mean, we, we can make a list even longer than that of ways to or store your information for your great, for your game. So what we did instead was we kind of just made some general categories, really broad categories, right. Um, that we could bucket these different ways um, to, to manage your information into. Um, and We'll get we'll get into each one of these buckets, and we'll give you a bunch of examples in each one um, of some of the things that we're talking about. 
as always, no specific order for the sake of brevity, probably not com- not a complete list, but I think yeah. we hit all the major ones. Jer, what's the first and worst way to manage your information? Just keep it all in your head. The first category is people expect us to remember it. This is a terrible idea. Brains are generally terrible for remembering things. They're subject to imperfect memory, recall issues, fatigue, shutting down during emotional moments, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so while we say that, there are plenty of you who are keeping things uh, keeping things for your games in your brains. And it's not the worst thing, but it's only at best a short-term solution until you can move to something better. So if it's important, I would say just avoid just remembering things without putting them down on paper or on a computer somewhere. I, uh, I shake my finger, my judgmental finger at many a player who um, keep all of their what happened in the last game or last mm-hmm. previous sessions just in their head. Yep. Um, turns out to, as, as proven many a time, turns out to be a terrible storage system. Yeah. Okay. The next one is pen and paper. And by that, we mean the general category of stationary and writing implements that are not electronic. Right. These devices, these devices do not require any power or network connectivity. Um, They have smaller storage capacity because, you know, it's a notebook or some paper like there's a finite amount of pages as opposed to something digital. Right. Um, They don't have search functions. Right. There's no way to like, you know, quickly find, you know, you know, the word tavern on all the pages that you've handwritten. Um, But they are fairly ubiquitous, right? Um, Writing implements, paper, like we can pretty much get our hands on it almost anywhere, much like the pizza menu, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Exactly. We can go, and and here's the thing about them. They can be very inexpensive, right? You can go hit up CVS in a September and spend like a buck on, you know, big stick pencil pens and, you know, some loose leaf paper, spend like two, three bucks and have, a paper and pen system, or you can go to my favorite place in the world, jetpens.com. Yep. Don't do it. Cha-ching. No, we don't get any money for that. I wish. Yeah. Um, and you can go really luxurious, right? Like you can spend hundreds of dollars on a pen. You can spend serious bank on uh, a writing journal. Like you have a range here. And it's a yeah. it's a really wide range, yep. mm-hmm. um, which I think is actually really good because depending on where you are economically or how much you want to spend on your hobby, um, pen and paper offers you a lot of variety mm-hmm. across a really wide range of, of cost. Now, it does require you to write things down. Mm-hmm. So it is in part dependent on your handwriting and more importantly, your ability to read your handwriting at some point later. Yep. In yes. like, yeah, this is the thing I suffer from a lot of times, right? Is like, I will write stuff down and later I'll be like, hmm, I think that's a word I recognize, <laughs> but I was writing quick and things were exciting. And, you know, what the also hell I that can't letter? spell. That's not yeah. a letter. That's, that's hieroglyphics. Yeah, that's like three letters mashed into some sort of like, like multi letter. Okay, here's some examples. Again, just a smattering of what is possible in this category. Uh, Index cards. 
I love my dry erase index cards. I love I love my dry erase. I love my paper index cards. Love, yep. love, love. I am sorry for those in Europe who do not have ready access to index cards. I find them immensely useful. Is that a uh, thing? But, oh, it's a thing. A we thing. Went, There was a time where I was like on an index card bender years ago, and yeah. we got like a couple of um, emails and stuff from like Europe, like people in Italy and stuff like that. And they're like, what exactly? Like, they're like, we see these index cards, but you can't get them. In the U.S., I wanted to airlift a whole bunch of index cards, like to, to wow. Europe. But anyway, I digress. Uh, binders and folders, uh, aka the Trapper Keeper. My uh, in nineteen between nineteen eighty and nineteen eighty five, the number one way I stored all my role playing stuff, Trapper Keeper. Um, never afford a Trapper Keeper back then. We never had one. Notebooks, specialty no uh, specialty specialty books like. Bob, what was that Kickstarter we backed that had the uh, book about the world building? Oh, world builder notebooks. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So like, oh, like there are sections. specialty books. Like, mm-hmm. exactly. There's a, um, oh, I'm going to not remember the name of it because I have them somewhere. There's a brand of notebooks that has a D&D 5E character notebook. Oh. Um, I will find it when we take it, when we kick to the next section, Jerry starts talking, I'll go look it up. But there are <laughs> specialty books that you can use, right? That are just not just plain notebooks there is loose paper right loose leaf printer paper i was gonna say typing paper but printer paper um graph paper whatever there's cork boards white boards there's physical books maps there's printed character sheets all of these things are in the realm of pen pen and paper all right now once we jump past pen and paper the next thing we can talk about is digital and this category covers all the different devices that store digital information. Everything from a computer device, a desktop, a laptop, a tablet, a phone, um, a Blackberry, whatever you got. Blackberry. Um, <laughs> I knew you'd laugh at that one. Uh, thing is, they require power, though most of them have a battery. They don't always have to have a power source on hand, though you do need to monitor and manage the power during the session. You have to make sure you've got enough power to make it through the game. Um, They've got a lot more storage and the ability to search for things. This makes information recall a lot easier. Um, sometimes they require internet access. They come in a range of prices, but the starting amount here is far greater than the low end of pen and paper. And of course, they're more delicate and fragile. But these days, most of us have something at some sort of device. This is going to include your desktops and laptops, your tablets, your phones, your whiteboard apps, uh, your cardboards like Trello, tablet and pen that you can write with virtual tabletop devices, cloud storage, PDF rule books, um, all the character keepers that are out there. And one of my favorites, I love Word docs and sheets. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get into this later on, but I love I love any role-playing game starting out with just a shared Google Doc that anybody can add information to as you go because different people remember different things. You can slap them all on there together. Yep. So I love all these things. Uh, I, I'll be honest, I held out. Doing digital for a long time, so I didn't like the idea of having a computer at the table. I liked old books because I'm a, I'm an old schooler. Man, once I used them once, I I love in digital stuff. It, it it took me a little while to um, and we'll talk about it later in the next yeah. section. It took me a little while to <clears throat> confidently cut over. Like I wanted to do it for a while, and I would dabble with stuff, and then I finally got to a point where I was like, I think I can reliably keep an electronic device on my table now without it. Um, running out of power, screwing things up. And today that's like ridiculously easier. Okay. The next one is pen to digital. Um, This is a hybrid category. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it, what it is, is, and we'll talk about some examples in a second, but it's anything that allows you to convert pen and paper over to a digital medium, right? These solutions bridge the gap between some of the advantages of pen and paper along with the advantages of the digital solutions, right? This is literally the, you got my, you know, your chocolate and my peanut butter mm-hmm. um, kind of moment. Um, often, in almost all cases, these start as pen and paper solutions, and then you have a way to convert them into a digital format. So this includes things like rocket books. Um, my personal favorite, and we'll talk about it when we get into our own systems, Microsoft Lens is uh, one of my go-to apply- applications for, for doing this. Um, the camera on your phone, which is actually what Microsoft Lens uses, but it's a piece of software that, but you could just like literally take pictures of stuff on the table, right? Um, and then things like um, optical character recognition. So things that like can actually um, take a picture and read the words off the picture. And if you have a newer iPhone, um, and I don't know if this is true um, for Android yet, you guys tell me, because um, I think you guys have Android phones. The yeah. new version of um the new version of iOS, if you take a picture of something that has words on it, you can tap the picture and uh, and the iPhone will translate all the words and then you can like copy and paste them and, and do all that stuff uh, with it. I think they may have done that in one of the recent updates. I seem to recall yeah, something along those lines. It's, it's pretty slick, like, um, but it's a great way to do this like pen to digital uh, solution. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that covers a lot of different ways that we can store information. Jerry, what are the reasons that we want to have a good information management solution? Well, it's important because it's all about making information accessible so that we have it available at the right time. Um, we have a couple different contexts which we call information, and each have different needs. So the big one is going to be during the session. We need to be able to access certain information while we're in the middle of a session. This is the most time-sensitive context we need information. We're off in the middle of running a game. We want to avoid dead air as well as maintain continuity. Uh, for instance, the characters teleport to the uh, cleric's temple and they want to ask the acolyte there for some information. Somebody at the table needs to be able to recall what that acolyte's name was. Um, and this recall can be tricky if the GM are involved in a bunch of other things or in the middle of a tense situation or if it's just been a long time. Um, you know, We always talk about this, that sometimes players jump back to things that the GM isn't expecting this week. And so he might not have uh, the Acolyte's name on the tip of their tongue. And if one of the players just go, oh, yeah, that was, um, you know, Bobo, the Acolyte. Oh, yeah, Bobo, the Acolyte. Yeah, he had a purple hat. And uh, I, I think that, you know, um, Grimnar here thought it was kind of cool that he had all those rings on his finger. Okay, great. We remember him now. Go on from there. Um, but if the players have that available for them, it helps the GM and the players remember who this is. Um, and also why they don't want to just kill them on site. It's important for some players. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next um, the next context in which you need to worry about information management um, is between sessions. Uh, for the GM, you might be doing some of your campaign management, you know, updating your campaign notes, things like that. You, you most likely are doing some session prep, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out what to do next session. Um, if you're a player, you might be thinking about what you're going to do next session, um, or um, you might be leveling up your character. You might be, um, you know, maybe doing some research on some moves or feats or whatever. So um, in this context, you need access to different types of information 
but you are not under the time crunch that you are during a game, right? We're not worried about the dead air, as they say in the radio, right? We're not worried about the dead air. But, you know, if I'm working on my session prep and I suddenly can't remember, you know, the name of Jerry's contact in Knights Black Agents, like, you know, it's going to, you know, like, it's going to be kind of a pain. Like, I may need to just look them up kind of, you know, kind of thing or, you know, want to be able to, like, grab that information from somewhere um, so that I can write it in, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And, you know, again, and, you know, uh, in terms of session prep, uh, you're really just kind of like looking up stuff, um, you know, in part because, uh, you're worried about continuity, right? If I, you know, if I'm talking about Jerry's, um, if I'm talking about Jerry's contact, I want to make sure I, you know, I remember who's Jerry's contact, right. And the relevant information about them so that when I bring it up, we don't jar the game where Jerry's like, that's not my contact. Or yeah. no, they don't own a tobacco shop. Remember, it's a bookshop. Oh, yep. right, right, right. It's a bookshop. That kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna add one more to this, and that's uh, players comparing notes. It's important. Yeah. One of the things I like is when players compare notes because sometimes people get things wrong, and if you have some way for the players to compare notes on what happened this past session that we just did, and people look at it and go, you know, well, we we just grabbed this. We have to get it to the dragon. To, so the dragon can, you know, we can slay the dragon. No, 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 no. We're supposed to help the dragon, not slay the dragon. I mean, that it sounds silly, but that's happened where three players think the adventure is one thing and somebody else heard something wrong, got the name wrong, maybe misinterpreted something, you know, in the game. Where if you've got all this in, they can start planning and, and, and think about what's coming up next and avoid some uh, difficult confusion or build on that confusion if your players like to play on that kind of thing, but at least talk about it ahead of time to, to go from there. But um, I've seen that happen a lot when, we, when we've done between session notes where somebody realizes something that they either heard wrong or didn't catch at all when it went through the first time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very important and cannot make for better, just better role playing. And lastly, we're going to talk about after the game is done. Um, once you've finished your little one shot or your campaign or the story arc, uh, it's important to have this available to go back and review. As a player, you might be looking back at past notes for inspiration or the current game you're playing is related to the past one, you know, what's going on? As a GM, you'll be looking for exploration, a past that block, a map to reuse, um, a character hook to move on to. Um, and in this case, like the one before, you tend to have time to do some searching, but the game's not current, so the location of this information not, might not be as easy to remember as it was when you were playing it. So having this information available afterwards is something that you can use to build on future adventures for both the players and the GM. Exactly. All right, Phil, we've been slowly building our way up to this with all of the info we need to store, all the ways that we can do it, all the context in which we need it. How do we make a system that will work for us? Rubbing my hands together here. Yes. Those knuckles. As a hell of a, there's a hell of a lead up to get to this part, right? Um, seriously, if all we did tonight was just, you know, tell you reasons why you needed to look up information or you know different types of rpg information we would be remiss in our duties what we are really here for to finish out this segment is to talk about how to build one of these things uh you probably already have one you probably organically grew it um when you started gming or when you started playing um but you can also upgrade it or you could tear it all down and start all over again which is what Um, we want to get into here, right? We want to talk through some of that thought process. The first thing I want you to keep in mind when we're talking about any information management system is you got to be excited to use it, right? David Allen, who, um, you know, 
was a huge influence on me, the author of Getting Things Done, right? Very important book for me career-wise. Um, said this about the Getting Things Done, like making when you were making your own Getting Things Done system. If you are not excited about the tools you are using, you will not want to use them, right? Um, and take that one step further. <laughs> if, if, if your tools are actually um, not even not exciting, but actually irritating, you mm-hmm. definitely won't use them, right? So if your pen is uncomfortable, right? You got one of those like big stick pens and it's like, you know, leaving that notch in your, you know, in your, you know, in your finger when you're holding it too tight or whatever, or your pen like keeps running out of ink um, or you have the too thin lead in your pencil and it keeps breaking because, you know, every time you push down, it snaps um, or the app that you want to capture all your information on crashes spontaneously over and over right? Like during a game session, like you're not going to want to use it. Even if you made that part of your system, you'll just never use it. You'll go around it or you'll just stop using it and stuff things back into your head. So as we go through the rest of this, I want you to keep that in mind. You got to be excited for your tools. If you are not excited for your tools and you have the means to do so, I'm going to say this. If you're not excited for your tools, shake it up, find some new tools. If you have the means to purchase new tools, knock yourself out. But even honestly, switching from like one, like a pen that you don't like to another inexpensive pen that you do like, like maybe you got some pen at a, at a conference, but it writes like a dream, right? And it just sits really nice in your hand. Use mm-hmm. it, man. Like you need to be excited about it. I, I know it sounds, I, it may sound silly as I'm saying it, but I'm telling you that no system that you design is going to work unless you're excited about, excited about engaging. Yep. Okay. That said, we're going to talk about some ways to figure out what your ideal system is. Um, we're going to go through just one kind of like thought process to figure it out that you could come at this from a bunch of different directions, but for the sake of finishing this episode in one night, um, <laughs> we're going to lead you through one kind of like chain of thought. Um, and Jerry, take us, uh, take us on the first link of that chain. All right. The first thing you want to do is you want to build a base system. It has to address the following things. How are you going to get your information into the system? How will you store that information? And how are you going to organize it? And it needs to address these three contexts during the game, between sessions, and when the game is over. Um, you need to consider if you need to share this info with others or if it's just for yourself. Do you play in one place or different places? And do your tools need to be portable? Are you traveling by game in mass transit or in a car? Um, are you playing online? And does where you're playing have easy access to power or the internet? And you can have just one tool or a collection of tools, and you can mix and match physical, digital, and hybrid. And we're going to discuss ours after the break. But your base system could be just at the game you're about to play, or it could be when you run this type of game all the time, or basically any game you run. You can mix and match as you go. Um, it's, it's very important. Uh, as much as I love those dry race index cards, they're great for in the game, but they're not great for, you know, three days later when I'm trying to make, do something else, I've got to find a way to get that information back into a usable form. That's what we're talking about. Get your base system started and then think about what you're going to do next. Yeah. So like, I, yeah. Like I, I'm just, I'm going to build a little off this before we can, before we jump to the next section. So like some of those questions, like about like, you know, do you play, like, do you play at your place or do you have to travel and are you traveling on mass transit or by car? Right. Like mm-hmm. that's going to determine things like um, physical books, miniatures, battle mats, like some of those things, right? Like if you are traveling on the subway and you have like, you know, a stack of, you know, D and D books you need to bring, 
maybe you want something digital, right? Like I don't always want to haul my DCC book everywhere, (laughs) right? But I might want to have a tablet with my DCC rules on it um, because that's easier, lighter to carry. Um, If I'm traveling in my own car, I put whatever I want in my trunk, right? If I'm just driving to Bob's and I can just fill my trunk up with, you know, um, a rolling file box, you know, full of hardcover books and all that stuff doesn't matter. Although Bob's got a pretty steep staircase. So maybe I'm not going to enjoy, um, you know, dragging that thing up the staircase. Yeah. That's the addendum to that one. It's like, yeah, I got a car I'm driving. I can put whatever I want in that car, but then I got to get it out of the car and into the place where I'm going to play the game. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe Bob's neighbors won't like it when I roll it up the staircase one, you know, bang at a time going up the staircase. Just, just getting it from the parking lot to the door at the bottom of Bob's stairs is a bit of a haul. Yeah. Um, as, uh, yeah. As, as, some, as somebody who helped Bob move several large, heavy boxes full of game stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, uh, so when, you know, Jerry ran through all these questions, but there are things you need to consider. Um, and I'll add another, you know, I'll add another one in here is like, you're going to build your base system, but also if you run a lot of, con- if you go, if you go to a lot of conventions or went to a lot of conventions and are yeah. planning to go to more of them, um, then your system also needs to be convention, um, like convention hardy. Like, are you going to be able to get to your room? Like, do you have to drag this thing around with you all day? Um, I have a couple pieces in mind. We'll talk about in a little bit that are electronic that I kind of have to think carefully about if we're going to go to a convention, because I may not be able to get to a plug. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right, cool. All right. So that's like the bait that Jerry talked about the base system. I'm going to talk about next. After you have a base system, you may want to, you're going to want to consider customizing the base system for the game you're playing, right? Your base system is like your 80% system, but certain games have different needs, right? So if we're playing Blades in the Dark, um, we need to keep track of all the faction ratings, right? What our relationship is with all those factions. Where are we keeping that? Are we doing it on a piece of paper that we're leaving on the table? Is it a, you know, did I make it into a Google Sheet? So that all the players can look it up on their phones while we're playing, you know, or, you know, can update it during the game, whatever. Um, Our Knights Black Agents game, we are, you know, doing this big mystery conspiracy thing. And that Miro, um, that Miro whiteboard uh, is invaluable. I don't think I, I, I honestly think the game would be a lot harder to keep track of all the information that's in that game. If we didn't have a shared, it's a shared whiteboard, which is great. And it's like infinite in size, which is even better because um, when one mission's finished, we just move to another section and build out, you know, another section of the board. And, um, you know, but it's become a thing that in the game, everybody wants to be able to look at it while we're uh, while we're playing. Right. Okay. finally, like, you know, another example here. Right. Your game may have abundance of maps. Like maybe you're playing something where you're constantly putting maps on the table. Um, you need to figure out how you're going to organize them, right? Like which ones do you bring? Do you need to bring all of them? Like, you know, is it a chance that players might go back to a place? You have to be able to pull that map back out. Um, are you prepping only specific maps? Remember the days, Bob, of game paper, gaming paper? Mm-hmm. They're still around, by the way. I don't want to make it sound like they're not around. We're just not playing games that use them. <clears throat> but I remember, Bob, you did it. I think I did it too, where I would take my gaming paper and draw out like the um, map for the scene and then cut it 
and put it like in a either roll it up and put it in a tube or in a folder or something mm -hmm. so that when um when we got to that particular scene i could just put it on the table or you could put it on the table yep. you did that right yep oh, yeah I've, the, I've done things ahead of time where oh yeah when i ran village of hamlet recently well not recently like five years ago i took the time to take those giant three foot by three foot pages and made full-scale maps of the moat house and the and the uh the tunnels underneath it so we could play out the actual because the moat house is an iconic uh scene so um it's always good to have that stuff but you can't bring that with you if you're going to be traveling to conventions all the time so depending on the convention i'd um i do remember <laughs> just before as i'm just drifting here before we jump back in um i do remember with gaming paper um we were playing 4e at Gen Con and we like ran like we were playing just off the convention floor and somebody like we ran out of paper and somebody like ran onto the floor bought a couple tubes from gaming paper or didn't they come by and give us some stuff once Bob on a Sunday the one day they came by and they're like we got a whole bunch of stuff and we don't want to pack it up to take it back with us here have some gaming paper <laughs> yeah they, they gave us, us like a couple rolls we have, yeah. we have a question what is gaming paper for the people that haven't yeah. seen it I, I oh just, yeah 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 okay yeah so gaming paper is this company you can look them up um, if you're familiar with battle mats, the one inch square uh, mats, like the original, so original battle mats, you got them from Chessex. They were vinyl. Um, they worked with wet erase uh, markers. And, you know, you, I like I had a, um, I think I had a small one and a really long, like I had one that covered a whole table and one that covered like just a quarter table. And they were nice, but, you know, like you had to maintain them. You had to clean them or whatever. Gaming paper was essentially wrapping paper. It was like wrapping paper quality paper that had um, it was like a beige. Um, it was like a beige background with one inch with a one inch grid on it. And you just unrolled as much gaming paper as you needed and cut it and put it down on the table. Yep, and really. you could just draw on it with marker because when you were done, you could just scrunch it up and throw it away. Yep. Or and roll it, it, back it, it up came and in rolls for another time. Exactly. Yeah, it was inexpensive. Um, the paper wasn't, you know, the paper wasn't super thick. If you held it up to the light, you could see through it, right? It wasn't super high quality paper, but it was inexpensive, had a one inch grid on it. Um, and boy, you could, you could really deploy it pretty quickly. Yep. I liked my vinyl maps. They were fancy, but you did like, they were a pain in the ass. You had to actually clean them. It, like, like you had to take a few minutes to like, you know, wipe them down and get all the things off and dry them and stuff like that. But like, even be in between games, you sometimes had to clean them a little bit more. Gaming paper was, uh pretty awesome yeah they had a hex option as well i just was never a hex guy i'm not a hex guy i've 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 a i'm big on i like when i do in-person tabletop games that have any sort of tacticalness to them i like things like that and you guys have been you know guys have been in my house i've got a four drawer file cabinet full of nothing but battle mats and dungeon geomorphs and things like that um i love that stuff i i don't use it as much anymore but i love that stuff but i, I again um some games require it. Some games don't. You need to know that for your prep. Yep. So, yep. All right, Jerry, tell us about uh, GMing information systems. All right. As a GM, you need to have lots of types of information that you need to store. And this system's luckily going to be much more robust than what the players have to worry about. But the things you need to kind of prep for, I don't know what that is, um, <laughs> is uh, how do you prepare your session notes ahead of time? How are you going to capture notes as the game progresses? And how do you want to arrange your campaign information? With the GM, you're going to have more books than the players, like you more materials, like maps and things. 
cards. As you mentioned above, you look at the game you're running and think about what your specific needs are going to be. Um, and uh, that's something that you need to look at. And digital has made that a lot easier these days. But if you're still a pen and paper person, you don't know what you're going to have with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, conversely, player information systems tend to be a lot lighter. Um, players manage a lot less information than the GM overall, right? They manage their character and, you know, they manage like what's happened so far in the game. Um, but consider how you want to record that information uh, when you are playing a game. Mm-hmm. Um, do you need to look at it between games? Um, maybe you just need to see it like right before the session to jog your memory, right? Like maybe you just need to look at your notes, be like, right, right, right. Baron Von Badass got away, right, right. Okay, yep, that's what we're doing. Um, but also consider, do you need to keep track of any other handouts? Like your character sheet's a handout. You're going to need to keep track of that. But like, do you have cheat sheets? Um, you know, do you have, um, oh, like if you're playing, like if you're playing a Forge in the Dark game, the name, you know, like the uh, what the ship, the neighborhood, like I, what is, I don't, there must be like a ton of them in um, uh, Band of Blades. There must be like a, like sheaf yeah, of paperwork. Of sheets, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, like you might need to be able to, you might need to, and you probably need to keep track of all of that um, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So once you have a system, don't be afraid to experiment. Uh, you need to be exciting enough to want to use. If you find it getting stale, you might need to change up some tools, see what will work and what's exciting, what's not. And sometimes it's just um, kind of what's new and sexy this week. And try that out and see if you like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So cool. Like that is, that's our general overview on information systems. In the next segment, after we take a break and check in the chat room, we're going to come back and talk about our systems um, and, and kind of go into some detail about like how we do it and the tools we use and stuff like that. So this was all the theory. And when we come back from break, it's going to be the practical. But in order to get to that, Bob, tell us about another show on the Mistructed Mark Network. Yeah, so I think you may have heard us mention before this this show called Pandas Talking Games. Fine, fine, fine little show. <clears throat> Phil and Senda answer your questions about RPGs from the perspective of one-shots versus campaigns or some other diametrically or, or, or not necessarily diametrically, but generally opposing viewpoints. Um, there's always some panda silliness. Or not sometimes. There's almost always some panda silliness. Um, and Scuttlebutt on the internet says, if you listen to this show, you will love it. There may mm-hmm. be something nefarious going on there. I'm not sure. Judge for yourself. But be, you know, be careful. Mind <laughs> your ear holes. You never know. Panda's talking games, kids. So, um, one of the things um, Andy mentioned uh, along the lines of the if you don't use it, don't use it if you're not excited about it, right? If it's if it's if it's a problem for you, um, there's still an Obsidian portal out there with Andy's ancient 4E campaign, and it was too much work to transfer their handwritten notes to digital, and I completely agree. Um, it, it's there's a there's a certain level of 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 work involved where it's like if I have to take and physically transcribe everything I've written into digital format. Eventually, I'm just going to be like, Ugh, and it ain't happening. Yep, totally. That's agree. where I think. That's where I think, and we'll talk about this in the next segment. That's where that that paper to digital set of tools really start to pay off. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, uh, Schmidt is in my house. Yes. So, um, Schmidt, I think just joined the chat room, but really, Schmidt is only hearing a, a section of the show because um, Schmidt is just in the um, dining room having a bite to eat. 
<laughs> Welcome. And <clears throat> dropping bottle caps Excuse on me. my floor. So that's the thing. Yeah, send is saying, yeah, we need to update the uh, the show blurb. Yeah, we do, because that's not really the... I mean, listen, we used to do one-shots and campaigns, but like five years later, like it's really hard to keep coming up with topics for it. Yeah. Now we just basically answer questions. Yeah, that's why I try and mix it up and and, and, and add a little more to it. But there's a couple yeah, of we'll show do... blurbs that we probably need to update, but... Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to we'll have to update that one. It's a little that it's on the older side. The, yeah. the, if you listen to it, you you'll love it. That part's still true. Yes. That's yes. word. That's Absolutely. that's still true. And um, Mo Tusino com- uh, completely agrees with you about cleaning your wet erase mats because oh, yeah. red or green, if you leave those on there, don't destroy a mat. Like once yeah. once it's been on there for a certain amount of time, even if you use alcohol or cleaner. It's almost mm-hmm. impossible to get those out after a certain amount of time. Bob had um Bob had the the boss of game mats. Um it was um it was a dry I think it was a dry or and or wet erase dry mat. Dry and wet. But it had a um, magnet backing to it. Yep. So that all your magnetic things, like especially if you had the um oh god, Bob, what were those Alea things? Alea tools. The, Alea the Alea magnets. Tools discs, yeah. um, they would stick to the mat, which uh-huh. was, which was really good because if you've ever used those um, Alea Tool discs um, and you are fighting a lot of creatures in close combat, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and you get the poles wrong on them, um, yeah. it is hard to keep the creatures together. They will start pushing each other away. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. had an instance one time where somebody went to move something. And one magnet got too close to another magnet. And next thing you know, there was this explosion of and like a dozen magnets all stuck to each other and, and just grew into a big or uh, lifesaver roll and fell over and knocked over miniatures. And it was it was because uh, I think we were using like the we were using like one color as the as like goblins or something. Yep. One color. Was and the they were bad like a, guys. Right. And then there were status effects for other colors and. And next thing you know, is yeah, it all like one bad placed thing, and it like we were just like, well, shit. (laughs) Yeah, but that battle mat was nice because it was magnetic. So not only did I have the ability to to draw the stuff on the battle mat itself, but I could just roll out a gaming paper mat or my hand cut cardstock maps that I had printed out and cut, and put those down, and the magnets would still stick through. And so I could put whatever, pretty much anything I wanted out there and still use the magnets. It was good. Good times. The downside to it is it weighed like six pounds. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it didn't roll up super tight either. Like it was like, uh, it was like, it was like seven or eight inches. Three inches man. <laughs> I think we, if like, if we really worked at it, you could get it down to like three inches across, but yeah, that yeah. was, uh, that was fun. It was, it was funny. Like it was, you didn't travel with it. You just it like you just yeah, took it, it to my house. <laughs> yeah. I think it's still there, by the way. We can go get it. We'll... Uh, I thought I put that. Oh, maybe I gave it back to you. Maybe I told you to grab it. I don't know. I'll have to check, but yeah. we'll find out. I know if where it is. is there, we know where it. it is. So it's not like yeah. it's going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. All right. That is uh that is our chat room for this segment. Let's jump back in. Um mind the colors. I I monkeyed with the format here just because of the nature of the questions and the way it was laid out. So Sound, I kind of sounds good. Go ahead. Um, so in this segment, of course, we're going to continue our discussion about information management. 
by hitting the round table for the following questions. Question number one, what is your base GMing information management system? These days, I start out with just Google Docs. I get a Google Docs startup, one for myself, that's private, where I keep track of things like the ongoing game story, what's really happening, list of characters and events. But then I have one that's open to the players, and I start by adding all the stuff to it that I have and allow them to go in and keep track of it as a Dramatis Personae. Um, the online uh, Eberron game that I ran for about a year and a half that actually Spitty was part of, um, we did a, a session by session description of like who was met, what happened, little one sentence summaries of what happened in that game. Because as we got 43 sessions in there, we got to be a lot of you know things to go back to track of, um, kind of the story so far stuff. Um, and I just find that with every game I'm in, I do a Google Doc that I start, even if nobody else wants to be part of it, I'll put it together for myself. Just that while we're playing as a player, I can type in notes when the GM talks about, you know, uh, you know, trouble in North Tonawanda. I can write, you know, trouble in North Tonawanda with, you know, the Gilgore estate or whatever and go from there. Um, the next is I like to have a spreadsheet with just common enemy stats. And if the game that has uh, more than like two stats for, for, for an enemy, I'll make just a simple spreadsheet with you know, enemy name, combat stats, basic skill stats, and a couple notes. Um, and just go from there so that when the time comes, I've got that in front of me. So I don't have to go looking up books. I don't have to have stuff in front of me. I just have the spreadsheet there. Um, I always use index cards. I love dry erase cards. And um, I'm not sure which of the local GMs did this the first time, but might have been playing with you, Phil, when you did for Fate. But I use it for all the games where if I bring like an NPC in and they say, you know, well, you've, you've met with, you know, um, you know, uh, 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 Bob comes in. I'll write, you know, Bob on the card and toss it on the table. Said, okay, yeah, Bob is this person you guys just met. And maybe I'll put a couple notes on there and let the players add to it. Um, a lot of companies these days make pre-generated character cards. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Genesis, and they have a bunch. They've got to have like 15 sets now of collections of cards, like all different uh, levels of like Star Wars villains or all the monsters from Descent for Fantasy. And you can go on to um, drive through cards and order whole stacks of them for Savage Worlds. They've got whole encounters like, you know, here's a goblin tribe. Here's an entire Norse village or whatever with characters. And I like to have, if I'm going to need those, I'm going to have those available um, again for what to put down if the players decide to kind of wander about, especially for doing a between adventure session. And lastly, I just like to have a set of folders for loose pages, handouts. I like those accordion folders with the little, um, like hair tie strap on the top um just so i can keep track of like here's all the character sheets here are some notes here are handouts if we're going to be meeting in person um and of course if we're doing things online a lot of this just ends up being digital at this point but uh, i normally start out with at least a google doc and a folder with my cards and notes and sheets and that kind of thing and if i'm playing in person i'll print out that spreadsheet ahead of time especially if i'm going to a convention phil okay cracks his knuckles here we go. <laughs> All right. Um, my platform of choice for digital notes is OneNote, Microsoft OneNote. Uh, I've been a fan of this um, since all the way back when I wrote um, Never Unprepared, um, and that has not um, gone away. I really like that um, OneNote is um, patterned after a binder. So um, I have a binder for all my campaigns. Um and every campaign I've run in probably the last three or four years, I have a separate tab for. And then inside that, um, you can have pages. 
and you can have sub pages. So I have um, like every, like when I do my session prep, I have a page that has like session four, all my session notes. Um, and then I'll talk about like my in-game notes. I put in sub pages under that page so that all my session four stuff stays together. Now, what I really like about OneNote, um, and I actually like this over Google Docs, is um, OneNote allows me to put text wherever I want it. So um, I often have like a main column of text with all my notes in it with you know different headers, bullets, and things like that. But then I will off to the side, throw a stat block, throw a copy of a rule like that I needed to pull from the rule book because it'll be relevant in that in that scene. Um, or extra descriptions, things like that. I will put those um, basically just to the right of my text so that when I'm running the game, I can um, I can see the text and then I can just like right over to the side, I've got whatever that supplemental information is. The other thing I really like about OneNote, and this is true for Google Docs as well, but I, I like this for OneNote. OneNote works on all my devices. Um, my um, When I am prepping my um, notes, I prep them at my desk on my computer. So I have um, one note up on a, you know, on one of my big monitors and I have, you know, my rule books and browsers for surfing for stuff on another monitor, right? And I'm writing my notes. When I go to run the game, um, I use my iPad, but I just open up that same one note notebook and the information as I laid it out when I was on the computer is now present right on the iPad. And I don't need to bring the computer to the table, right? I have a very simple, um, very minimalist iPad stand that I use to put it up on an angle so I can refer to the notes while I'm playing. And uh, that's my go-to. Uh, the other thing I like about OneNote is it does work offline as well. So as long as I open and sync my notes someplace where there's Wi-Fi, um, I don't need Wi-Fi again while I'm using OneNote. If I write anything on it, which I don't, and I'll talk about that in a second, um, as soon as I get back to Wi-Fi, it would just sync back up to the notebook. Okay. Um, during, all right. So then I also always open up a Google Drive folder, uh, put the PDF of the rules, the character sheets, any digital maps, anything like that, um, all goes into um, Google Drive. Again, that makes it so that I can access it from anywhere. Um, I have an app on my iPad for reading uh, PDFs, um, Goodreader. So I will upload the game rules into Goodreader so that I have that accessible from my iPad as well. Um, but, you know, if I'm at work and I have a minute or two to look something up, um, I can hit, you know, I can hit Google Drive from my phone, from my iPad, from my work machine, whatever. In game, I do not use electronics to like, I don't sit there and try to type on my iPad. Typing on the iPad is um, incredibly inefficient. Um, so during the game, I use index cards. I keep a stack of them in my jamming kit and I just have a nice pencil that I bought from um, jet pens. Wasn't even that expensive. It's like $10 mechanical pencil, um, but it's really good. It's um, nearly impossible to break the lead on it. Um, it has actually like, it's from Japan. It has a couple mechanisms. Like it has a shock absorber in the tip. So if you push too hard, um, the, the pen will kind of absorb some of that force. Um, and if the lead is too long, it has this little telescoping um, support that comes down like it, like, like, like a tube that like covers the lead so that it can't, it's not too long and exposed to break. 
So really hard to break the lead on it, which I like because when I get excited, I write, I press kind of hard and I like will break um, weaker leads. But anyway, I write everything on index cards during my session notes. So like I just, as soon as I sit down at the table, I take out an index card. I write on the top of it, session four, write the date. And I just jot notes as I'm playing. I use other index cards over to the side for tracking hit points and consumables and things like that. Those I just throw away. Um, but I keep my index cards at the end of the session. Um, then I use Microsoft Lens to convert all of my index cards into in, like the stack of index cards that I take notes on for the night into a PDF. And Microsoft Lens will let you upload that PDF directly into OneNote. So at the end of a session, I think you guys have seen me do this. Mm -hmm. I will take out my phone. I will scan all my index cards front and back. I will... Um, I will turn them into straight black and white document, right? Take out, you know, take out all the color up the contrast, turn it into a PDF and uh, send it right to the section of my campaign notebook for that game. And then I'll just take it because um, it imports that PDF as a page into OneNote. And I will turn that into a sub page underneath that session. And this way, if, you know, like it takes us a few sessions to run through um, you know, a given, you know, like a given mission, I will have all of the index cards right there. And then that way, so the thing about it is once it's uploaded, I can just throw the index cards away. I don't need them. And when I go back to do session prep, all of my notes that I took during the game are right there in one note. So, you know, if I'm looking like, oh, what did we call that NPC? Oh, let me just go look. There's the index card. Read it right off the index card. Put it right into, you know, right into one note. Um, I use Google Docs and Sheets for stuff that I want to share with the players. So like in our Forbidden Lands campaign, uh, we had a Google Doc, uh, we had a Google Sheet for, we had a couple Google Sheets. We had a, we had a calendar. Um, we had the sheet with our stronghold and another sheet that had all of our um, NPCs in them. Um, and that was something that I was using with the players. So um, we didn't always po populate that during the game. Sometimes we did, sometimes we didn't. We played a lot online um, for a chunk of that game because we played during pandemic. So it was actually pretty easy to have it open while we were playing online. But um, I use Google Docs and Sheets for that sharing thing if I want to share things out with players electronically. Uh, and then lastly, I you know still rely on some folders. Um, I always have cheat sheets. Um, I am a person um, who, as a GM... I am a GM who collects all of the character sheets at the end of a session. We rarely play anything that requires a lot of um, uh, character prep, you know, like character work to up, you know, to level up or anything. Um, and I don't want to name names. Tony um, is, you know, um, some people might forget their character sheet from session to session. That's a bigger hassle. So for me, it's just easier if at the end of a session, I collect all the, the, the character sheets, the table tents, Put them all back in the folder, um, put them in with the rest of my stuff. Um, that way I know where all that stuff is. I'm only slightly picking on Tony. Tony's not the only player I've ever had who's forgotten their no, character sheet. He's not the only one who's ever done it. Yeah. But but Tony's definitely the person who's gonna do it. <laughs> if somebody's gonna like, do it, yeah. I mean, Tony, we we just like Tony's dice stay at my place. They're actually my dice. Like I have dice for Tony because that is like that's not a thing Tony's going to remember to bring to the game yeah. consistently. So 
Um, but yeah, my system, so that system sounds complicated. It's not really that complicated. It is basically, it is basically centered on OneNote. Um, and the cool thing about it is like that OneNote now has like um, all my past, like it has so many of my past games in it now. Like all the Tales from the Loop stuff is in there. Masks is in there. Like, and you know, if they were short or long, like I did the um, Forbidden Lands was like 47 sessions. All yeah, that cool. stuff is just in one tab in one note. Yep. Um, and if we ever went back to it, um, super easy for me to go back to, you know, after having played, like, you know, we are probably going to go play that game again in the future. And all that stuff is out there digitally. <clears throat> Um, to go back through. Yep. Yeah. Back uh, and in the yeah, day. I, I guess the other thing I should say is the reason why OneNote is still my, um, or why OneNote is my go-to. Um, my handwriting is good in a pinch, <laughs> like writing during wow. a session, but not for prep. Um, I type faster than I write. Uh, typing yep. is clearer, has yep. spell check. Plus nearly, um, I've reduced all of my notes to bullets. Yeah. Um, my notes look like more sparse than our show notes, right? Like, I just have bullets for all my stuff. Um, and for me, I can just do that really quickly in an electronic format. And it looks like it's good. Like it's easy to read. <clears throat> I don't have to sit there in the middle of the session and be like, what was that? I wrote like, what's that word? Like, mm -hmm. no, it's fine when I'm translating the uh, index cards at the end of a session, not like during a session. Yeah. Back in the day Ooh. when I was still GMing, I did like my, my 4E campaign. Um, I did it all in one note. I, all my, all my prep and all that stuff like that came out of, uh, came out of one note for a lot of the same reasons that Phil used it. Um, not the smallest of which is I type faster than I write by mm -hmm. a large margin, <laughs> like no contest. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> all right, let's jump into question two, which I'm going to propose and then answer immediately. Um, what is your base player information management system? Um, and for me, it's the whatever character sheet for the game um, and then OneNote. I do a lot of like brainstorming for characters and uh, and, and background uh, uh, information. I do that all in OneNote. Um, so that's that's where I where I keep that stuff. As far as character sheets go, depending on which game it is and, and whether or not they have electronic character sheets or if we're playing online, that character sheet may be in Roll20, or it may be just mm -hmm. a form-fillable PDF that's in a folder on the internet. Um, if it's a paper one, then it goes into Phil's folder most likely, because that's usually who's running the game. Um, and then we go from there. Um, so now, mine's nice do you, and simple. Do you use OneNote for like taking notes during a, during a session? I do not, because I'm terrible at taking notes during sessions. I'm one of those people that, that I keep whatever I can in my head from session to session. And uh, quite honestly, I'm actually a fan of the, um, the fact that I may not get all of the information correct because it's more realistic. You've got all these <laughs> characters with all these different viewpoints and backgrounds and everything like that. And it's like, I heard him say, we need to go find, you know, the vessel with the pestle. And Jerry's over there going, no, I have it written down here. We need to find the flagon with the dragon. Well, damn it. I guess I misheard him. But I don't have a problem with that personally. <laughs> if another player at the table has a problem with me not taking notes, please bring it up. I'll listen to you and we'll talk about it. But so far it hasn't been a problem. And the the 
the inaccurate information to me is more realistic of a, of an adventuring party where not everybody's going to remember the same things the same ways. Um, so I just kind of go with it. That's good. What about you, Phil? Yeah, my, um, my player information system tends to be index cards. Um, I, um, I just, um, I just, again, I like, I bring my normal gaming kit with me. I've got index cards in them. And um, I just take out an index card, start writing on it. I don't convert those. Um, I think if I remember correctly for um, for Chris's um, Dungeon World game, I had like a half an inch stack of index cards from all the sessions. Um, some sessions I write a lot of stuff down. Like it depends on where we, like it depends on what's going on in the um, it, what's going on in the session. Like sometimes they take a lot of notes. Sometimes I don't take too many. Occasionally I break my own rule on that and I'll just grab a notebook um, and jot some notes and, you know, like I'll jot my character notes in that um, notes are um, for player stuff. My notes need to be enough that when I go back and read them, I'll remember what happened last session. Rarely do I have to do stuff in between sessions for the games that we play. Um, but really I'm writing the notes so that kind of like, it's just enough to jog my memory. Like, let me just read a few things that happened here, right? We went down into the cavern, right? The the metal spiders. Um, oh yeah, right. Got I got injected with a poison uh and you know and recovered. Cool. Okay. And and then the thing I will often do, past Phil will do for future Phil, and I actually do this in my GMing notes as well, is whatever I'm writing my notes on, the last thing I write on the note card or the notebook or whatever is the words next session. And then I write down what's going to happen. So if I'm GMing, my index card will say next session, players still in Stockholm, continuing investigation, you know, dot, dot, whatever else. Um, And if I'm playing, it'll be whatever I'm, whatever the characters are going to do next, like next session, explore abandoned control room, right? This is like past Phil's gift to future Phil. Like, Hey, this is what I was thinking when the game ended. This is where you need to be when the game starts, right? So yeah. I will leave myself that next session thing. But I will also, when I do it, like from a GMing point of view, like I will note things like um, if we're playing Fate, um, I will note, because sometimes we play shorter sessions, right? We don't always play like a three-hour session. Sometimes we play like a two, mm-hmm. one and a half hour session or whatever. So I will note whether there's going to be a refresh or not. Right. So I might just be like no refresh and then I'll ask everybody for their fate point totals and I'll write them down. Or if we're playing Knights Black Agents, I'll write down next session, um, refresh, you know, like refresh general pools, right. To remind myself to tell everybody to refresh when we get back. Yep. So I do a lot of those things. I do a lot of um, now my GMing cards. I will see them when I go to prep so I can just transfer that information to my notes but my player one is really about reminding me, like when we sit down at the table next and the GM says, what do you want to do next? Like I already wrote it like, Oh, we want to go into the bay. We want to go into the control room yep. because whatever we talked about at that moment was true. We should just keep going from there. Yeah. How about you, Jer? Um, As a player, I like to start with my character sheet, obviously. And then I like to get a digital copy of it. Even if it's something that we're doing, you know, in person, I'll take a picture of it. I'll scan it. Something like that. So I have a copy of it. Um, sometimes I'll convert it over to a Word doc or a Google doc or something. I like to have something I can go back to just in case a, the GM loses it 
or I lose it, or B, I just want to be able to look at it between sessions so I can take a look at what we want to do next. You know, what is it that I'm doing well, not doing well, that sort of thing. Um, I always have index cards to keep track of notes, uh, to make table tens, toss things out on the table. Um, I like a bound notebook to take notes in during the game that I'll then convert over to something else. Um, I, I just go to the local Dollar Tree or whatever, and they've always got those composition notebooks there. If you're lucky, they sometimes have the uh, ones that are graph paper instead of line paper. Um, and I'll just have, and I'll have different notes for different game, different books for different games I'm playing in a lot of times, just so I can have a place to keep track of things writing down because I, I don't have a, I don't have a tablet that's easy to type on and I absolutely loathe using my phone to take notes on. Um, so I'll write things down and then convert it over to like a desktop or something on that later on. Um, and then I will always try to get a Google Doc going, even if it's one, uh, unless we're, the Miro for Nice Black Agents is the same as the Google Doc, basically. It's the same, it serves the same purpose. So I don't have one for that one, but it's that sort of thing. I like to have some sort of doc where I can keep track of names of characters, names of NPCs, places we've been, things we're doing, who we've met, especially as games get more complicated. Um, this isn't for everything. We didn't do this for DCC because there's really not much um, continuity from adventure to adventure with, with DCC. Um, but for other games, we've had uh, we've had huge Google Docs that we've kept track of. Um, and they work really well. So that's generally what I like to do. I like to have some stuff. Um, I'm a player that likes to take notes, um, even if they're not always accurate, and even if I can't always go back and read them. Um, and as I got to GM a lot more things, I saw other players doing things, and I thought that it led to better games when the players had better notes. So I wanted to have better notes myself so that when we do go back and talk to the the, the, the hotel desk clerk in Stockholm, if we have to remember that, that's, oh, that's Inga, and last time we were here, they were, you know, very helpful to us, or last time we were here, they were horrible to us, you know, we need to know that kind of stuff and keep track of it. So I like those things. Yeah, I left off index cards. Um, I do actually have some on the table with me when I play. And even though I'm terrible at keeping notes, um, detailed long notes, like, no, that's not going to happen. But like, if there's like a little thing that I want to know about my character, I'll, I'll just like, I typically have like one index card that's got one or two or three things on it when we get done with a campaign. <laughs> <laughs> just like I've got a couple of things and um, depending on the campaign um, I did have like uh, like three or four lines of stuff for forbidden lands for my character for that um, so yeah it all depends but uh, but yeah I definitely do keep index cards around too so because that's always a good idea mm -hmm. all right moving on to question three what tools have you been curious about trying that are not in your base system hmm so I have this Holy Grail notebook. Um, it's this German notebook, um, Rotter, Rotterfaden, I think is the name of it. I had and to look my, it up. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a beast. Um, it's a $250 uh, leather bound notebook that um, has these um, metal arms that you can swing out and like put books in and close the arms back down on them so if you've ever seen a traveler's notebook that has like the elastic bands where you stick the notebooks in them this is like the awesome expensive version of that right mm -hmm. like this is fancy stuff and you can custom you can get yours custom made so like you can get one that like fits your tablet in it along with you know pens and notebooks and whatever 
Um, I would be tempted to make that like my base system if I was to kind of um, like go over the edge on it. It has been the thing where I have talked myself out of it because it is even like 250 is just scratching the surface of what that system costs in its entirety. Like once you buy notebooks and the customization, the shipping. And so it's, it's like a Holy grail thing. I don't even know if I really want it because in truth, OneNote is the actual like optimal way for me to store stuff. But man, it's, it's a heavy it's, investment for something that you don't know if you'll actually enjoy using until you actually sit down and use it. So it's yes. like if somebody could loan you one, you know, and mm-hmm. be like, here, let me play with this for like six months or whatever. And I and I did a traveler's notebook system for a while and I had some issues with it. I wasn't thrilled with um, stacking a bunch of notebooks in there and trying to write on them. And like I wound up having a lot of things about it where I was kind of into it for a little while. I did a bunch of stuff with it and then was like, you know, it's one of those cases where you experiment and I was like, eh, I don't know. It's not as great as I thought it was going to be. Um, and I eventually like scrapped, like I stockpiled all that uh, stuff, which by the way, if you need, if you're curious about getting into a uh, traveler system, like drop me a line. Cause I've got a, I've got a leather cover and some notebooks and some other inserts and stuff. I could probably trade or sell, sell to you pretty cheap. Um, it just wasn't, it wasn't my gig in the end. Um, but that is the notebook that like every now and then I see it on, on jet pens and I'm like, Oh, and, but you're so right. Like the layout. And I mean, it's not a trivial amount of money to like, then be like, you know, Oh, I guess I'm not going to use this. <laughs> I mean, if like you had Bezos money, you'd be like, fuck it. I'm going to try it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bezos money be no problem, but I got like film money and like, $400 is not a try yeah, $400 not. needs to be like a near home run, you know, at least a triple. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Jer? I'd like to try some additional notebooks. I know that um, friend of the show, Glenn Siler uses some of these. I've seen him during the game where he takes notes that he can transfer over digitally. Well, that's and the rocket are- notebook. I think is what he used to use. I'd like to try that. And I think I need to get a better tablet. My tablet is actually half tablet, half, like laptop well you have a surface right i have a surface yeah it, it's more computer than it is tablet yeah and so i don't have one that i can use easily during the game i may have to actually uh bend and uh get an ipad one of these days and use that as a tablet see if it works i will uh, warn you i will warn you about the ipad that it is an entryway into that ecosystem um i i, I got an ipad and then never got out like yeah yeah, a a there's they're perfectly fine Samsung tablets. If you want to stay in, if you want to stay in your ecosystem, yeah. yep. there are some perfectly fine Samsung tablets that are probably less expensive than, or probably comparably expensive to the i to the. Um, I'll be talking to some of you guys, but something that I can, something that I can, that I can, that I can work on, um, preferably something that I can that I can get a keyboard for occasionally because i absolutely i still hate typing on tablets almost oh, i don't have some kind either. of keyboard attachment uh yeah, yeah. A bluetooth keyboard whatever yeah, something like that yeah but that's but i i something that's simple and easy that i could put out that i could put uh you know some pdfs and things on um that's like use i mean everything that i most of what i need to do i can do um that those are two things i'm really kind of interested in bob yeah, so I honestly haven't been very curious about new tools and stuff since TiddlyWiki, and Phil is making that face now. 
Um, okay, so what I, is Tiddlywiki? Tiddlywiki. Tiddlywiki was my core system. Genius. Yeah, it was a Tiddlywiki was. Genius. It was my core system for, uh, oh gosh, like the early two thousands. Um, okay, so we all know what a wiki is, right? It's a you know editable um, like website. Tiddlywiki was this. It was an HTML page, wasn't it? It was a single file self-contained wiki that someone yeah. put together super small footprint until you start loading data into it obviously it's going to get bigger because it's Hulked holding up. data but it was um a super small file that um that was a self-contained wiki and it had add-ons like it had an add-on ecosystem that people started to develop with different tools that you could put into it and it was glorious and it's still out there phil it is still I'm looking at it chugging. Right now. <laughs> I looked it up like about a month or two ago for some reason. I don't even remember why. But it was glorious. And I used that for, oh, geez, what did I use that for? I used it for something. And it's T-I-D-D-L-Y-W-I-K-I, Tiddly Wiki. Yep. Um, it was <laughs> the coolest thing since sliced bread. And there have been times when I toyed with the idea of going back to it again and using it for something. But like Phil said, OneNote right now is really doing all of the things that I want it to do. Um, but yeah, that little tiddlywiki file, it's like you just, I had it, I had a campaign and I had that file in a, uh, uh, um, in a folder on my computer and I just had a link to it in my browser. And it's like, anytime I wanted to do anything with that campaign, I just click that link. Boom. It comes up in the browser and you just do your thing. Um, I had, I ran Iron Heroes on TiddlyWiki and I had one, one wiki that had the campaign notebook. And then I had, I think one TiddlyWiki. Oh, I had made a template Tiddlywiki and I would copy that file for my session notes. So in that a browser, I would just have like... Yeah, I just have two tabs open. Mm -hmm. um, oh man, Th I can't that was the campaign, like... Phil. I had my character in Tiddlywiki. Yes, I made a character Tiddlywiki for uh, for Kelvin, and had all the character information, all the background info, all the, like everything was in there. It was glorious, oh, yeah. and it was relatively stable. Like oh, it, yeah. you could pack a lot of information in that thing before it got squirrely. I, yeah, I don't remember ever having it get squirrely on me unless it was like a broken, uh, a broken add-on that didn't work right or something. No, I had I had pushed a couple of them pretty. <laughs> the campaign one for on Iron Heroes got pretty large after a while, but um, oh, it was so yeah. glorious. Now that you say that, like I just as soon as you said it, I was like, like it all came flooding back to me. I had custom colored mine oh, yeah. for Iron Heroes. and You could modify the CSS rules and everything. Yeah, it was. What was cool was it was at a time when, so that the period of time we're talking about is pre-tablet, pre-phone. Um, like we all had phones, but no smartphones. So we were bringing laptops to the table. But you needed like a cool way to access everything. And this thing, like you just clicked on it and your browser opened and it was in your browser. Yeah. And it was fully editable. And, you know, you could put it on a, um, you could put it on a stick. Yep. You could just have it on your hard drive. Like, and that was um, the thing I had it on a stick and I would take that stick to work with me 
And so I could go and I could open up and nope. work on my campaign stuff at work off of that USB stick. My 128 uh, titanium USB yep. stick. My 128 gig titanium USB stick. Yep. Yeah. That was the thing. That oh, was man. the last piece of, of new tech that, that got me excited for uh, for information management. Um, it, it it was, boy, it, it was a thing, man. Like I used it a lot. And as you're saying this right now, I'm like going through my, um, all my old, um, what you call it? I'm going through my old RPG stuff right now, looking for that folder, yep. like my Iron Heroes folder, just because I want to see it. Oh man, it was a thing. It was a real thing. Where the hell was that? Anyway. <laughs> yep. Oh, the fate of El Hall. That's it. We, we've we've oh, gone no, that's into uh, <laughs> we've gone into nostalgia mode. Yeah, we were losing Phil rapidly. He's uh-huh. he's going he's going fast, and there's the folder. That oh, would probably man. be our clue to move on to the next segment. So yeah. take us out, Jerry. I opened I was gonna say, it. So that's our discussion about information management systems for your games. Oh man, we hope that um, we hope that you, as you are building out your system, um, whether you're upgrading it, whether you're like, oh, I got to scrap this thing and make a new system, whatever it is, we hope that this information has been helpful. We're gonna take one more trip to the chat room before we head off to the conversation corner. Um, yeah, um, apparently, dude, you- I'm in it right now. November 5th, 2005 was the beginning of that campaign. So that campaign is 16 years old, dude. Yep. 16 years old. So in the chat room, we had um, Andy and Senda doing a a, a long, beautiful rant on um, the court jester, (laughs) repeating a lot of the back and forth that had which is always excellent well yes you uncorked that whole thing so that's yeah, what that you was, get not me not me i me. didn't uncork that one that i was cracked the seal on that yeah <laughs> good times oh. <laughs> sorry mm-hmm. um other than that most of it's what we covered already um lots of discussion of the battle mats uh yep. the chess battle mats uh mo has a whole filing cabinet just for characters in his game room so we've all got them together so and uh that's everything there about the chat room yeah i think we're caught up not on chat written, not a not a rant just a quote okay i apologize that i could rant a quote off uh so i've been corrected that was not a rant it was a quote off um but uh, it was well worth reading all right now that i've uh put phil in nostalgia mode let's do the conversation corner yes <clears throat> All right. So since the last time we talked, I have uh, continued watching Community. I'm uh, about four or five episodes into season four already. Um, boy, I'll tell you, there's some some interesting storylines going on in that. What are this? What are, I forgot. What is going on in season four? Uh, the beginning of season four, you've got. Um, oh, we're about to start our fourth year of Community College, and that means it's our last year. And you know, we're going to graduate. And Abed doesn't like that idea. He wants everybody to stay together. Um, mm-hmm. You've got the whole, uh, the fallout from, uh, spoilers, the fallout from when Chang uh, took over the school and almost blew it up. Um, oh, dear. And yes. then he comes back um, calling himself Kevin and he has Changnesia. I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> we're going to do that That's then. That's beautiful. Huh? 
That's beautiful. Um, uh, the last two uh, Halloween episodes have been interesting. Um, yeah, it's uh, that is a fun show. Sur- thoroughly enjoying that. Um, we had another episode of uh, Star Trek Prodigy last week. Um, not everybody in the in the Slack room is. Uh, we we opened up a Star Trek channel to talk about Star Trek stuff, um, and uh, not everybody is super pleased with Prodigy yet. Um, it's not hitting the hitting the right notes for some people. Um, for me um, personally, um, I have never been one of those people that um, that will be like, "This is not Star Trek enough for me." Um, defining what makes Star Trek Star Trek, I am far more lax. Like if you're hitting uh, the atmosphere and the and the visuals and the you got starships and familiar alien species and and tech and replicators and transporters. You're in Star Trek for me. Like I don't I don't need to to go super super intensely deep to to get to what makes Star Trek Star Trek. I mean easy easy to please person. So the the Kelvin timeline stuff isn't a huge problem for me, other than the fact that the stories weren't that great in the second and third movies. Um, but you know, it was Star Trek to me because it was Star Trek. I, I can't, I can't really put my finger on, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um, prodigy so far, I'm enjoying it. It, I mean, it's, it's, everything starts a little slow because you have to develop the characters and, and give you an idea of what's going on and everything like that. So, um, and the, uh, the main, uh, it's an ensemble cast, but the, 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 the focal character of the first few episodes, Dal, um, he's an annoying kid. I mean, there's no, yes. there's no two ways about it. He's an annoying kid, thinks he knows it all, doesn't know enough and, uh, and makes poor decisions. Um, but you know, let's see how he grows because, you know, if there's character growth there, then I'm good, you know? Um, so very, very interested to see where that's going to go. Um, started on uh, the, the current season of Magnum PI uh, uh, um, about a week and a half ago, um, like four episodes into that. Some more super deep, um, um, emotional, gut-punchy episodes. They just did, uh, I just watched, um, um, they did a suicide episode where a bunch of kids um, bullied this girl and she killed herself. Content warning. Um, I should have said, um, and they, they took it all super seriously. Um, they had one of those disclaimers at the end where it's like, if you have felt like you want to do this or, you know, someone call the hotline, you know, like this is all serious business. Um, and then I think they treated it very well. Um, so yeah, I'd super love the, the people who are writing Magnum PI. They're, they're doing a great job and are telling some really interesting stories. Um, we of course had movie night. We talked about that earlier. Um, house of flying daggers, um, whether or not I'd seen it before, who knows, but it was a very enjoyable movie. Um, we already said super, super layered, a lot of stuff going on. Um, I'm looking forward to watching a few more before we get started on the game. Um, to, to really get into the, into the, the flavor of the, of the wuxia. Um, so looking forward to that. And, uh, you know what this Friday is? The 12th of November, it's Disney Plus Day. And this Disney Plus Day um, promises to be packed with goodies for me specifically. And a bunch of you, I'm sure, would get something out of out of some portion of it. 
Um, they're supposed to be big reveals for Star Wars, um, big reveals for the Marvel Universe. Um, uh, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Um, so I am super looking forward to Friday because uh, Friday is going to be just a wealth of fun stuff. One of the things I heard, um, one, Shang-Chi is, I think, coming to Disney+. Plus. Shang-Chi is dropping on Disney Plus on the 12th, yes. And I heard that they are um, updating the apps and um, the resolution of the movies are going to change. Not um, all of them at the same time, but there's no, a but like huge the, chunk. Like, yeah. Like the Marvel, the like MCU. a bunch of the Marvel movies, right? Yeah, so a huge chunk of the MCU movies are going to be updated to um, IMAX quality uh, resolution. So... Yeah. Um, you know, take that for what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good times, good times. Plus tra- um, trailer trailer for Obi-Wan is supposed to drop. Trailer for Obi-Wan theoretically is supposed to drop and not just like um like a quick like, you know, like two, three minutes. Like they're supposed to give us like um like an extended look, like a six, seven minute is the rumor I'm hearing. Um the theoretically we're supposed to get a sizzle reel for Andor. Um, 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 uh, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Um, Mandalorian season three, we're supposed to get something, I think, um, and potentially some other information because the, um, originally planned rogue squadron movie from Patty Jenkins was supposed to be sometime in 23, um, has now been put on indefinite hold while they clean some things up because they want to do it right. And the replacement for that is supposed to be either uh, an Old Republic movie or a High Republic movie. There's some debate mm-hmm. about which one they think it's going to be. But um, Moe's asking what a sizzle reel is. A sizzle reel is um, basically just some quick um, um, quick images, um, maybe something with some dialogue, just to, uh, a short, like maybe one minute, maybe minute and a half. Here's some stuff from Andor to get you excited um, that, that, you know, the show is underway and, and you know, who knows uh, uh, what they're going to show us. But, you know, something to, to, to get you excited that the project is coming. Uh, how is it different from a trailer? Um, it's usually not uh, – trailers usually have some coherent um, through line um, through some of the scenes. Um, uh, and they're usually longer, um, two to three minutes. Is it real often, often has a lot of like out of character voiceover, kind of like the first half of the Black Adam trailer that dropped, where it was just The Rock talking about how much he enjoyed making the movie, and we had some cool special. Yeah. But that's going to be yeah, more that of a kind of stuff real. too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, good. Yes, Mo. There incoherent <laughs> incoherent trailers. Yes. trailers yeah. Um, so um, yeah, looking forward to that. That's uh, that's going to be fun. Plus, you know, Schmidty's in town. So we're going to hang yeah, out. Yeah. Schmidt's right over there. <laughs> Yay. All right. What about you, Jerry? Uh, I watched Star Trek Prodigy. Um, I'm still on the fence. Cannot stand the main, main character at all. And I felt they took way too long to get that freaking ship in the space. Uh, the first episode was a, was a two-parter. And they should have been on that ship at the end of part one, not part two. But... I also didn't like the first couple episodes of Disco, and now I love it. So I'm giving it some more time. 
but that main character's got to do something soon because there's a lot of room for character growth because they really can't go down. <laughs> I don't like the main character at all. Um, it, there's like nothing about that character I like at all. But we'll see what happens. I like the rest of the characters. I like all the supporting characters. I like the ship. I like Janeway. Um, I like the villains, just not the main character. Um, <clears throat> still catching up on Psych and enjoying it. It's kind of, I watch a couple episodes a week. Um, we just had to jump back into She-Ra, probably catching up on She-Ra. And really liking, I, I, I love the, the, the secondary and tertiary characters in She-Ra. I love all the stories that have to deal, do with Bo and uh, Glimmer and Scorpia and Entrapta and all that. Just it's a lot of fun. Um, finished watching Fear Street Part 2, um, which where the first Fear Street takes place in 1994. The second one takes place at a summer camp in 78. So it's got a lot of fun nostalgia um, both music and also character stuff. And a lot of, again, just like the first one, a lot of characters didn't make it that I thought were and vice versa. A lot of characters I thought were going to buy it did not. And that was, it was, it was interesting. Uh, Topsy Turvy and really did a good job of building on the, the, the mythos of the series. Um, really enjoyed the House of Flying Daggers. Um, not what I, what I, what I expected. Um, not knowing anything about it, I thought it was going to be another like Man with the Iron Fists kind of storyline, and it was not. It was a much deeper, much um, <clears throat> more melodramatic, a lot more focused on romance and things. Just a, overall, just a great movie. Um, ended up buying one of the big, big Lego sets that's going to be setting the stage for probably a multi-day build. Um, I decided to jump back into, I wanted something short to watch as kind of a palate cleanser. So I decided to go back and start watching Metalocalypse from season one. They're like eight to 11 minute episodes um, about a the most popular heavy metal band on earth and the fact that they're unknowingly bringing about the apocalypse. And it's just a lot of fun. And lastly, I was going through YouTube and for free on YouTube with, with YouTube Prime uh, Premium, Buckaroo Banzai, which hmm. I haven't seen in probably about six or seven years. And as bizarre as that movie is, and understanding now that it was written by the guy who wrote Big Trouble Little China makes a lot of sense. It's actually, it's a pretty deep movie, especially since it's got a really good cast who, <laughs> despite the subject matter, takes the movie seriously, even when it's being a parody. And um, it's just got some fun world building, a lot of story stuff, and a lot of um, both parodies and homage at the same time. Um, you know, Banzai's whole group is very reminiscent of Doc Savage's team, uh, Doc Savage's team from the old Doc Savage pulp novels. Um, there's a equivalent to Superman's Newsboy Brigade in it. But it's also just fun with this. I mean, if you don't know what Buckaroo Banzai is, the main character is a uh, martial arts neurosurgeon um, who also is a uh, ace pilot scientist who builds interdimensional vehicles while also fronting a rock band. And um, it just gets a little bit more bizarre from there and has some very matter-of-fact stuff. But John Lithgow and Christopher Lloyd and Dan Hedaya as the three main villains just chew up the scenery left and right and take what they're given. So it's a lot of fun. I've forgotten how much fun that movie is. It is not a great movie, but it's a fun movie. And um, if you like sci-fi, if you like comic books, if you like pulp, if you like things like Doctor Who, Buckaroo Banzai is definitely in that same kind of category. So I enjoyed it. And I understand Bob has never seen it. So this may be a, a watch yeah. party sometime. 
um, especially since it's free on YouTube. Well, yeah. Um, well, I was supposed to have a vacation this week, um, and uh, I was gonna last week, and Santa um, uh, was gonna come visit, but that all got canceled. So that was like a big downer for my week. Um, I spent a good portion of my week, uh, you know, Wednesday sacked out on my couch. Um, eventually turned it around. Um, so I, I didn't quite do a bunch of things. Like I really wasn't in the mood for playing too many video games. Um, but uh, I have continued my watch of The Good Place. Uh, I'm nearly done. I'm just a few episodes away from finishing it. Um, that that was a lot of fun. I've enjoyed that. Um, I did um, as a ray of sunshine on my dashed vacation. Um, Narcos, uh, Mexico season three dropped on Friday, and Saturday I binged six hours of it. I have just a couple episodes left to finish. Uh, it's excellent. I've raved about Narcos before. Um, if you're into it, you're into it. And if you're into it, you probably already are watching it. Um, Narcos Mexico is excellent. Um, it only makes me want to play cartel more and more, um, <laughs> with a thing that will eventually happen. Uh, I watched Star Trek prodigy too. I'm in the early, I'm in the, um, season one. I will forgive a lot of stuff phase. Um, I don't particularly love it. I don't particularly dislike it. I think it's a pretty interesting kid show. Um, I like hollow Janeway a bunch. So I'd like to see where this kind of, I'd like to see where this goes. Um, it definitely won't be my favorite Trek, um, but I don't think this was a Trek that's, this isn't a Trek that's made for me. I'm already on board and drinking all the Kool-Aid of Star Trek. I don't need a kid show to onboard me into this, um, in into this, um, into this world. Like that's what this, you know, like in the second episode, there's like a whole thing about like, what's the, what's the Federation, right? And it's clearly it's, um, you know, this is clearly on ramping younger audiences into Star Trek, which is good um, because nowadays Star Trek is like a little impenetrable for younger audiences. So I, I like I like what they're attempting here. Um, but again, it's not necessarily made for me. So I'm not really sweating it at this point. If I like it, I like it. And if not, um, it can it can just do its thing. Um, it can do its thing. And maybe, you know, hopefully it'll um uh, what you call it. Hopefully it will onboard some new fans. Yep. So I'm down for that. Um, talked about, we talked about the Wuxia movie night. Uh, I did play some horizon zero dawn. Um, man, that game is good. Like I've still only barely scratched the surface of it. I know several of you are very excited for me to get deeper into the story to find out what's going on. Um, but I like, you know, had to go play all the side quests that they made available. Like I was like, Oh, I'm doing all the side quests before I like left, like before I move on to the next chunk of story. Um, it's just a fun game. Like it, I, I like the play style. Um, I like the idea of hunting prey um, and the skills that like the, the skills you get and all that stuff. Plus again, the game is gorgeous. Like I really can't stress like how beautiful this game is um, visually. And honestly, I kind of think that at some point I would like this to be a role-playing game. Like, I'm honestly surprised in the um, rash of, licensing that rpgs have been doing that somebody has not attempted and maybe somebody has and i'm just not aware of it that somebody hasn't made a run for this world like this world is very evocative and i still barely know anything about it um i would be very interested to see um what gaming in that um setting would be like so that'd be pretty cool um i don't know what else um probably nothing major this, this was kind of a meh week you know Having had to, having vacation plans um, uh, dashed was really the 
kind of the wet blanket to it. I, I think I recovered nicely from it, but you know, I, uh, it could have been better. It was nice seeing you guys. And now I got Schmitty here for this week. So that'll be fun. Uh, plus the Eternals plus Thursday off. So oh, yeah, Eternals. we should, you know, we'll wind up having some fun. Anyway, that's me. Why don't we roll over to the patron shout outs and we'll mm-hmm. make our way into the after show. Yes. Yep. So thank you very much to patrons, Jeff Stevens, Joe Rasso, John, MT Black, Mike Olson, Padme's Lover, Robert Dorgan, Ryan Bolter, and Troy Pitchelman. And thank you to everyone for listening tonight and being here in the Slack room. Chat indeed, room. indeed. If you're indeed, indeed, if you're here, if you're here, um, if you're not here, if you're free on Tuesday evenings and would like to be here, um, so that's 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. the Queen's time, come join us live on Twitch where you can chat with other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. If you can't make a live show, check out our podcast each week wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, take a list of some of the other shows that Mr. Dr. Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bonesome Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Pennis Talking Games, The Gnomecast, John Who Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and of course, the excellent back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, Hey Mo, Nights of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming and BS. Indeed, indeed. Um, after you have set up your base system, before you have done all of your um, specific game configurations, leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly um, on the old-fashioned email, mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Hit us up on Twitter. The show and the network is <clears throat> at misdirectedmark. He's Robert M. Everson. He's GM Gerrymander, and I am DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. And get your name called out on the show. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Django Hustle is at patreon.com slash Django Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, the pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Mr. Mark production. The media arm of Encoder Designs. Mic drop. We out.